today the business at hand is what it takes to create and sustain a truly great restaurant, which is easier than it looks and not for the faint-hearted. So we'll be talking about what goes into a restaurant concept, executing the concept, establishing and sustaining a successful operation, because that's no easy task, particularly in a marketplace that's highly competitive, like Atlanta, where even good concepts come and go. So what does it take to succeed for 25 years in such a highly competitive environment? We'll be talking with Steve Alterman, founder and owner of the Horseradish Grill, one of Atlanta's and the South's most respected restaurants. Welcome to the Business Hour, Steve. Thanks. I appreciate your invitation. Well, Steve, um, as I just said, I think that a lot of people, uh, well, they're unaware of what goes into um, both the creation and the execution uh, of even a good concept particularly in a competitive marketplace like Atlanta. And one of the reasons I like to have uh, restaurants on the program from time to time is because having a restaurant, opening a restaurant, owning a restaurant is, is, is a dream that, that a number of people have either from early on because they were exposed to cooking and, and, and a good restaurant uh, maybe within the family, or <clears throat> you have... Uh, entrepreneurial types who think that's that's something I'd like to do that's that's the kind of business that uh, uh, I'd like to own uh, and in many cases they just don't know what goes into it maybe if they find out that it's uh, easier said than done they might go with something like a ready-made uh, franchise instead of the uh, independent uh, restaurant with individuality which you did so you know, let's talk about, well, we'll start with having you describe what kind of food one can experience at the Horseradish Grill. Ron, when we founded Horseradish Grill 25 years ago, uh, we uh, put together a team of very talented and, and uh, experienced operators and chefs one of whom was Jerry Kalaskali. You, you may know Jerry from uh, uh, from uh, his exploits at, uh, with uh, Pano and also at Aria. Um, and uh, Jerry had just just so happened I was available at the same time that I became available, looking for, uh, frankly, a living. You know, you talk about uh, people love to be, think they want to be in the restaurant business. Uh, what I tell them is, uh, if you've got a million dollars to spend, give me half a million. We'll light cigars and smoke some uh, s- smoke some cigars and drink some scotch and throw hundred dollar bills into the pool, and I'll save you t- a lot of time and a lot of a lot of money. I'll save you half a million dollars. And maybe some headaches. Yeah, you know, one or two along the way. Uh, in my case, frankly, I went into the restaurant business because I uh, was offered a position to, to do that with Ray Schoenbaum when when we created. Rio Bravo in 84, telling my age. Um, I remember Rio Bravo, and I thought that was a really good restaurant. We're talking about the one on in Buckhead, in Buckhead. on Roswell Road at near Irby there. and Yeah. That's, well, it, uh, the, the restaurant that we opened at the end of the 285 Northside Drive bridge uh, construction site back during that time convinced me 
that a Raymond and I had no way of knowing what we were. At least I had no way of knowing what we were getting into. Uh, and uh, but we also proved that because of the difficulty of getting to the place and the success of the place, I mean they're juxtaposed. You wouldn't think that they would go hand in hand, and they don't necessarily do. But uh, we were successful for one reason: because people wanted to come back and do business with us. My uncles and my dad in the grocery business years ago used to say, "It's not in the land; it's in the man." So we gave people an opportunity to, to uh, tell us. And Raymond had the the the, uh, the foresight and the capacity to give people what we thought they wanted to have, and we we were successful with it. Not necessarily because we were neither of us was a chef, uh, but because uh, we gave people a place to want to come back to. Same thing happened in Buckhead, and uh, you know it was not uh, very visible, unlike the real Bravo in Buckhead, it, uh, which was. Uh, uh, on a corner, uh, got a lot of traffic passing by. Uh, the Rays on the River uh, is what we're talking That's about. We started, no, the Rays on the River was the first uh, opportunity Raymond had. We bought that from uh, uh, not Far West, yeah, but Far West Services back in 83, 84. And uh, uh, the River was a unique location. That's That was a whole different story. There the location told the story. You were talking about the other the, location. We, we opened the second one, which had been a restaurant three times already by a chain organization. They had Bombay Bicycle Club and a couple other places. But this was at the literally at the end of a gravel road with construction equipment left, right, and center. No traffic signs, no no lights, no uh, uh, no parking. We parked, uh, and uh, but we rebuilt that restaurant in our, in our image. <laughs> Can you remember walking in? I know Marcy can about uh, sitting in the bar, the bar, which is like sitting in the bleachers, right? Waiting to be, waiting to be seated. Yeah, yeah, you went up. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that that's where, when you give people a reason to come back, they do. Well, I I think you're absolutely right, and 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 and, and throughout today's program, we're going to be talking about what it is that brings people back, because oftentimes it could be just the food. Um, sometimes they just feel like they're very well taken care of uh, and the food is maybe slightly above average and sometimes people just like a setting but one thing that I think you have going for you or maybe it's three things um, and I don't mean to sound like an infomercial but you've, you've got the menu you've got the people that make you feel at home and you've got a delightful setting um, but, but I'm going to back up and you know when when folks think about uh, southern food, everybody conjures up you know whether it's New Orleans, um, which is unique unto itself, like a a nation, uh, a um, a North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas almost doesn't count because it's kind of also uh, it's unique. Uh, southwestern nation of sorts uh, with a Texas Southern, Tex-Mex, yeah. Tex-Texas. But in general, when you've got classic um, Southern cuisine that's maybe got a little bit of a modern twist to it, tell us how you describe your uh, your menu when people say, well, what, what kind of food do you have, Steve? If they've never experienced it, they might even be from out of state and you're encountering some folks... Um, away uh, from the South, how do you begin to describe 
the venue. I begin by telling them that we are upscale Southern. Now, that begins to conjure up lots of things. Let's go back to 1993, the year before we purchased the restaurant, and talk about what Southern food is. At that point, we didn't call it Southern food. We called it regional cuisine. And lo and behold, when we got the talents of Scott Peacock and his mentor, Edna Lewis, to help us create, and, and, and Jerry Claskell to help us operate, I won't say I couldn't lose, but I, let's say that I had the, the deck stacked. <coughs> so what's the biggest surprise I had in opening that restaurant was the day that Esquire magazine named Horseradish Grill an important restaurant and one of the top ten rest, new restaurants in the country. So there was a thirst for regional cuisine. And what's coming out, you, used to, you go, to, go to Alice Waters, you go to, to, to California, you go to the James Beard uh, Foundation, all of these folks are talking about really one thing, locally produced, uh, farm-to-table, uh, 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 nur- nurturing people. If you read the back of our menu, I didn't bring it with me, but you'll talk, we talk about nurturing people. And we talk about treating guests, uh, our guests, as if they were guests in our home. So we've got, and so you also you see if you go uh, order lunch at Horseradish Grill today, for example, the biscuits that you eat will be Mrs. Lewis's recipe for for biscuits. The fried chicken that you will eat tonight uh, is is uh, Mrs. Lewis's uh, basic recipe. Uh, and I must say, administered with, with uh, a great religion and respect by uh, Mr. Peacock during those days, and we have not changed that recipe. And there are a couple of other items we haven't changed the recipe since uh, since then. But let's not talk about Southern cuisine. Southern cuisine can be Mrs. Winters, can be Colonel Sanders, it can be Nick and Ray's Greasy Spoon, as I call it. Uh, but uh, Horseradish Grill, look, we have a garden in our backyard. And we don't grow a lot, uh, a lot of things, but what we grow, we're proud of. And I think the, the, the real thing that sets horseradish grill apart is the food tastes good. The experience is comforting. The, the, the uh, people that bring you your food are appreciative of your business. And the concept of there's nothing that can beat freshness. So if, if, if we're getting product in every day or we're growing product in the backyard, Rest assured, we look, we, we look at it very closely and make sure it, it's the best we can serve our guests. Well, let's talk about what makes it uh, upscale because there's no doubt you can go to uh, a Mary Max here in Atlanta and get some good southern cooking. Right. Um, some might even refer to it as southern cuisine mm-hmm. as opposed to just good southern food, good southern cooking. But there are some twists on, on, on uh, some of the items uh, that uh, you create um, that give it um, that upscale quality. Uh, and we're talking about the menu. There are mm-hmm. upscale elements to the operation other than just the food. But in terms of the food, um, tell, tell us about, uh, for example, what makes your shrimp and grits a little different, a little better, and what I would consider to be upscale? Uh, that's a great question. You know, the, we... we if I tell you the, 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 the difference in that menu item is the person that creates it, you, you would say that's con- contradictory to what we just said. But when you've got the same person making that dish day in and day out for 16 years, then if it's not done correctly, 
somebody in my in my on my dining room floor is going to send it back to the kitchen and say this was not prepared correctly. So the first thing is is you have to have that eye for detail. Um, and by the way, sixteen years is a long time uh, these days. Uh, for anyone in any company, uh, any organization, and you have a few people that have been we with do, you, we do. Uh, like Richard, I know, has been there for, I think, 22 years, is Richard, that right? Yeah, Richard Gordon is our, our general manager and great friend, and uh, he's he's kept me out of trouble most of the time, and yeah, Richard's been with it. He was on the initial, initial crew when we opened uh, back in April of uh, 94, and he worked that summer, he hurt his back, but he's when he, when he came back six months later, he's been with us ever since, and he he is now the general manager at Horseradish Grill, but but that can make a difference. Um, you just mentioned the preparation. We were talking about the shrimp and grits. If you have someone, uh, even if they're not hands on, but they've trained the people who are making it uh, uh, the way that it was uh, created to be made. Um, you also have um, well, you have some classics, and and, and in fact, but beyond. Upscale, I, I'd say that classic contemporary could also characterize what you do because yeah. of some contemporary touches. Um, we're going to have to take a break, uh, but we're going to come right back. Um, we're here uh, with Steve Alterman, owner and creator of the Horseradish Grill, and we'll drill down a little further into what makes a great restaurant right after this break. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Come join us on September 22nd at Historic Fourth Ward Park for the first ever Atlanta Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. Walk a Mile in Her Shoes asks men to literally walk one mile in women's high heel shoes as a way to express empathy to all victims of sexual assault. It's a lighthearted way to get the community talking about such a difficult subject. Are you man enough? Come join us. All proceeds benefit Day League, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. For more information and to register, go to Atlanta Walk a Mile in Her Shoes.everydayhero.do. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Steve Alterman, the owner and creator of the Horseradish Grill based in Atlanta. We've been talking about what it takes to succeed, even with a great concept, great menu, great execution. Uh, of that menu, uh, good setting. Some of the best restaurants, particularly in this marketplace, have come and gone. In fact, would you agree with me, Steve? There, there have been some pretty good concepts that just didn't sustain themselves. And I'm the recipient of many of their uh, good, good planning and, and, and uh, perseverance. Too. Yes. Um, yeah, it, 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 we've we've just seen some places uh, uh, come and go. 
Um, and and although I can't say that I think there's uh, ever been a really great restaurant in this one particular location, and you'll know what I'm talking about, on Petrie and Buckhead, where they had the, Karis, uh, the Ferris wheel, you know, yeah. that place went through so many changes. I, I was telling my wife that I thought it should be called the... Uh, uh, remodel and recycle cafe. How about Kudzu Cafe? Oh, Kudzu, that? yes. Richard uh, uh, Ro- DeRose, uh, Susan DeRose, and Richard Lewis. They've, that uh, location has been through several iterations, and uh, frankly, I was amazed at each of them and enjoyed eating there. But they decided they're not going to operate a restaurant that they can't uh, that they can't do well, so they stopped doing it. Uh, and you oftentimes wonder did they did they were they undercapitalized did they not stick it out you know uh, long enough uh, did, you know you know it's not like it's ever going to just run itself um, but still you can get to a point where you've crossed over that threshold and maybe it's somewhat easier because you've got the momentum would would that be true? Uh, well, I, yeah, momentum is important. It's always true, and, and uh, there there are a lot of moving parts in a restaurant, as you know. Um, uh, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you, in, 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 when we've been talking about people and 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 and, and talented uh, chefs, you you had mentioned uh, Scott Peacock and Jerry Claskella, you know, two luminaries here in uh, Atlanta, and we've had uh, um, Kevin Rathbun on this program, and I uh, have had. Um, uh, Peter Kaiser, for example, and I mentioned them because they cross paths at Commander's Palace in uh, New Orleans, and you have uh, Jerry, Jerry Claskala and Scott Peacock, and all these guys at one time or another were working w- with each other somewhere, uh, and so it's as if uh, uh, you've got this high level of talent running in similar circles. Would you say that's true? Yeah, they do. It's, it's, it's the school of modern uh, restaurant tourism, I guess, uh, where uh, there are owner chefs on premise, and they more than care about their operation, and they're there twenty. Every, every if you're in the restaurant business, you have to reconcile yourself that you're going to be there twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, uh, which I which I did. Right, that that is one of the hallmarks. In fact, when we're talking about what what people who are thinking about uh, starting a restaurant may not be aware of, they've heard about it. Could be long hours, but no, they don't really know. No, no kidding about it. Really and truly, I have to tell you a jillion stories about my kids calling me on a Saturday night to ask me to come home to shoot hoops with them. But uh, I think uh, if you want to know why I've been successful, I think it has a lot to do with luck. And a lot to do is, as we call in my neck of the words, mazel. Your mazel tov, what it means, good karma. Uh, <clears throat> and then I, I, th- I can give you a jillion reasons why we don't do business. I can't tell you a single reason why we do do business. I can tell you that if you get out of your car and uh, and uh, the valet's busy or you get out of your car, you walk into the, to the, uh, to the building and Terry Rich, who's been with us 23, 24 years, suddenly uh, looks at you in a way that you, you think is offensive and it ruins your whole evening or... or uh, the biscuits don't come on time, or the, we don't have your particular item on, on our uh, wine list, or we don't have that sixty, uh, that uh, twenty-year-old, twenty-four-year-old scotch, uh, or uh, or your food's prepared incorrectly. I, I mean, I've made table visits where I, I've talked to. I like to do that, and, and uh, where one participant in the meal had an entirely different experience than, than their partner during that meal, and it 
And we don't joke about bad service at horseradish. When somebody says, you know, I had a bad time, we don't go ho, ho, ho anymore after that one incident 20-something years ago. We say, how can we make it better? And that's one thing that you do uh, that I think uh, all good restaurants um, pretty much do, unless you're uh, tied up in the kitchen cooking or something, uh, is uh, work the room, is come around, be um, personable. Uh, I remember uh, 25 years ago uh, and off and on in those 25 years that you would just stop by. And if you were around, it might be your son Josh who would be uh, in the restaurant and uh, just check in to see how things were going. And if you did have a problem, it would be taken care of. Uh, so I, I think that uh, that really matters. Right. Now my son Daniel, whom you met the other day, works at our, works at our restaurant. And Daniel, well, of course my kids were uh, imbued with the philosophy of take care of your guests as if they were guests in your own home. No, we, we try to do that. You know who else uh, says that? Um, Kevin Rathbun looked back fondly on when he was growing up, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, – Kansas City or St. Louis, his mother was the equivalent of a maitre d' in a restaurant. His father was a jazz musician, and he'd said late at night on a Saturday they might have over a bunch of restaurant people and musicians, and everyone was just very, you know, his his mom became a hostess again in their home setting, and he just remembers the way that she took care of them and made them feel, and that... Uh, that went into the way that uh, he wanted to uh, uh, run a restaurant. I, w- I want to go back uh, to 25 years ago and and uh, ask you how you uh, came up with with the early concept uh, and did you stray from what it is that you initially thought of or did you stay true to that core concept? It's a great question. I don't know that you've ever talked about uh, my... my uh My pseudonym, my, my nom de guerre, which uh, was a guy that I created. His name was Hal Adams III, which is a, a caricature. Please, please forgive me, Hal. We went to Grady, with Grady High School together uh, umpteen jillion years ago. But I decided that if we were going to do a regional restaurant, that I didn't know enough about regional cuisine. He didn't ask me about my mother's chicken soup, but uh, we can't do... Uh, uh, fried green tomatoes too well in the Alterman home. So Jerry Clascala sent me on a mission of t- to visit other restaurants in other parts of the country. That's right. So I create, but I had to create this guy. So we created this whole persona of Hank, uh, uh, Hal Adams the Third, who was a bon vivant. He was a de- he was a, the darling of the um, uh, Buckhead circles, and he was divorced, and he was a bad boy, and he had horses in, in Alpharetta and uh, shooting lodge in, in Greene County. And what he would do when he would travel is he would bring product back with him. So if he was in Maine for the summer, when he came home, he would come home back to his plantation in, in South Georgia. And the woman who took care of the plantation, who had taken care of his family for so many years, ran her, his kitchen. So he would say to her, Thelma, bring me. Uh, I brought you lobster to do something with it. And she would make a lobster roll made out of cornmeal. Or she would she would take whatever he was offering her from a different part of the world, and she would incur, incorporate it in their cuisine on the farm, which basically is what, if you read Mrs. Lewis's 
uh, six cookbooks, six or seven cookbooks. It's exactly what it's life. You call it life down on the farm if you want to, because cooking follows the rhythms of life and nature. So was this uh, Hal Adams the third character a fictional creation? Yeah. And in your mind, was it the idea that he was this southern bon vivant and had uh, food that then you... Uh, made real in the form of a menu and that was an early concept and you stayed true to it from conception to the beginning of execution Absolutely. and how long was it be- be- between the time that you thought you might want to open a restaurant and you actually opened the restaurant horseradish let's see we started with horseradish back in maybe the summer of Ninety-three, um, yeah, ninety-three, and we opened it in April of ninety-four. And it's funny we, we, we when we look around at some of our um, paraphernalia around the restaurant, I, I ran into photographs of the Today Show, where we we uh, we appeared on the the Today Show in, during the Olympics. And they they like the idea of regional cuisine. It was a lot of fun. I'm trying to think back, but but if I'm not mistaken, the restaurant has been modified ever so slightly since those early days. But uh, for folks who uh, haven't been, um, it's a really delightful uh, southern barn house like setting with a garden uh, beautiful windows I think the windows did, did from day one did it have that many that no, 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 yeah. no 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 tell us about how you selected that property because as you said location is not necessarily everything but in your case this is a really a, a neat location well, it's a, a very unique location uh it just so happens that uh, I mentioned uh, Rio Bravo. We had a Rio Bravo in Buckhead, and we had Rays on the River and Rio Bravo in Northside Drive. And that was one of maybe two routes that I could go to between the restaurants when I would be, be working a supervisory shift, for example. So I must have passed by the place twice a day for five years. <clears throat> and eventually, when, uh, when, we just, when Raymond and I decided to break up our partnership, uh, I went to the Popescu's and literally knocked on the back door and said, would you be interested in selling? Um, and it took us a long a long while to put together, uh, first, the need for them to want to sell. I certainly had the need to want to buy because I needed a job at the time, needed to make a living. Um, and then uh, we, we after we got uh, Jerry on board, Jerry literally recruited Scott for us, and, and uh, we were off to the races. Um, I, but I'll tell you about the um, Bill Johnson. We we picked Bill Johnson to be our, uh, our architect, and uh, you know, if you check, I don't know if Bill has this on his website anymore. This goes back so far, but it, Bill, Bill and I had many animated co- uh, conversations about where um, movement and, and what did he call it, uh, spirit, and. Uh, what was he talking about? Uh, where where uh, certain things should be? For example, the bar. He and I had a, had a terrible, had a big big uh, big 
confrontation over the bar. He won, of course. But I was also fortunate to have um, a wonderful lady, um, Marsha Lyle. Marsha unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, but Marsha was the lady whom some of you Atlantans may remember. About 15 years ago, went on to King Road and bought a house, kicked out the back and blew up the top and started started a whole new revolution of re- recycling beautiful sh- real estate. Well, hold on to the thought because we're going to come back. I just want to take another moment to talk about uh, what I think is a unique and a really uh, beautiful uh, setup and setting. We're here with Steve Alterman, the owner-creator of Horseradish Grill. We'll be back to talk with Steve more about uh, a beautiful operation right after this break. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Join us on September 22nd at historic 4th Ward Park for the first ever Atlanta Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. Walk a Mile in Her Shoes asks men to literally walk one mile in women's high heel shoes as a way to express empathy to all victims of sexual assault. It's a lighthearted way to get the community talking about such a difficult subject. Are you man enough? Come join us. All proceeds benefit Day League, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. For more information and to register, go to Atlanta Walk a Mile in Her Shoes everydayhero.do 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation passport transport the first and finest today that's why passport transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers concours museums tours and collectors and should be your choice from across the state to across the country when you have the need go to passporttransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And we're here with Steve Alterman, the owner-creator of the Horseradish Grill, uh, that is here in Atlanta, in Buckhead. Uh, and... We've been talking about the setting, which is, I think, um, a, just a, a delightful, um, unique setting in a unique structure. Uh, you, you, you've got a, uh, a a building, which is, uh, as I refer to it, a cross between a, a barn and a farmhouse. And you also have this beautiful garden uh, um up front uh, for for dining and um, and you have the the herb garden in the back, so you have an actual garden. Um, but let's go back to the origins. And as you mentioned during the break, you know it's gone through a couple of iterations. But what uh, do you know about how it started? Well, how far back do you want to go? You know that if you drive down uh, Powers Ferry Road, you'll see a number of uh, markers denoting the uh, the, the uh, pro- progress of the of, of, uh, the uh, no it wasn't, it wasn't the Confederates it was the, the oh uh, the Union Army the Union Army yeah, yeah. came down swept down through there so they wiped out the Cherokee Indians and then they wiped out the Southerners 
And then the, the, the Yankees uh, during the War of Northern Attrition, is that what we call it? That's right. And uh, uh, came, came through there. Anyhow, the, 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 the area had a, had a, was, was known as being in the country. Now, I, I'm an Atlanta. I, I grew up in Atlanta. I was born in Atlanta and I went to Grady High School. So for us to drive out to Powers Ferry, or what we call it North Fulton at the time, North Fulton Park, was a schlep. Uh, where you now see uh, Lenox Square, for example, was a, uh, a pasture with ha- that had uh, polo bon- bonies on it. Um, yes, in fact, a lot of the uh, uh, and there's a f- still a few uh, 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 plots of land that are um, farm-like, yep. uh, even with some horses, which you wouldn't expect uh, uh, this close to uh, the center of the city. But uh, it must have been more farm-like uh, back then. It even. was absolute total farm. And the road in front of the restaurant was a dirt road. When they called it Powers Ferry Road. They meant that John Perry, John, John, John Powers, John Powers had a ferry at the location where Ray's on the River is right now, and then they built that bridge there. So that was the, the first thing. And there was a, a women's prison. There was a debtors' prison. Um, there was uh, not a lot of, of, uh, of, and so the property itself would it have been either a barn or a farmhouse? Yeah, as I'm kind of conjuring. Yeah, what up? happened is in the, th- in the 30s there was a general store there, well, basically where our bar area is, with a little black <clears throat> belly stove in the front. The Johnson family was there, and uh, they, the the one uh, surprise that they left for us as we when we went through our demolition and rebuilding of it as we found a secret door with a stool. And I found out that uh, Bill Daly was the only guy uh, in the state of Georgia whom the Department of Revenue allowed to make moonshine. That, that's the story I hear. Anyhow, so a guy by the name of Bill Daly bought it in 1949, and he created what he called Bill Daly's Red Barn. No relationship to Dick Daly? Nope, nope. Uh, could have been. This guy not, was not from Atlanta, from what I understand. He was a pro b- baseball player. So anyhow, uh, but but it, what what he did have is he killed a lot of nagas and put a lot of naga hide in his bar, and the local gentry responded to uh, his uh, fair, which was basically a steakhouse. But what he had was a what I call it was a dark dungeon esque uh, room with uh, what was it sixteen horse stalls in it. With paraphernalia from all of the, the uh, the the big races, the Preakness and the, whatever the, the the racing venue was at the time, and it, and we, when you walk into Horse Riders today, you'll still see some of the harnesses and and, uh, and effects that that the Popescu family put in there and Bill put in there. So Bill had it from '49 to '59. He pa- he passed away, and his family bought it. Uh, family sold it to the Popescu family. And the, the sign of that uh, group is uh, uh, Adrian Popescu, who lives next door to the restaurant today. Um, so uh, Adrian's dad bought the restaurant in 61, and they sold it to me in 93. Yeah, in 93. So, a nice long run. Yeah, so, so, so as far as we know, that, that, that structure began as a, uh, a general store. It did, and then, but uh, to be honest with you, I... I've had several stories. I have still have guests who are alive during that period of time and remembered uh, working in a barn or seeing a barn there or or having business doing business with the guys in the barn. Well, uh, I love the concept of it having its roots 
as a barn, uh, and and I had uh, a recent conversation with uh, uh, Richard Lewis, your uh, uh, general manager. No, it's not Richard Lewis. It's Richard Gordon. Richard Gordon, uh, and uh, it was uh, about the uh, Colum d'Or uh, on the hilltop in the hilltop village on top of the hill uh, in. Uh, St. Paul de Vence in France, in Provence, just above yeah. Cannes and Nice in the hills, maybe about uh, eight miles. It's a thousand-year-old fortress village with the modern city being three or four hundred years old. And there is a, um, uh, a structure, it's a stone structure, which had been uh, stables, but was then converted to lodging and a restaurant. And there was a sign-up uh, that said... Uh, and and I read the article, uh, it maybe in Condé Nast or Traveler magazine, and there was a sign up that the guy said, uh, "Lodging for man, horses, or artists." <laughs> <clears throat> and now, he, since he took in trade artwork from Picasso, Renoir, Chagall, Matisse, um, it's laden with with the most incredible artworks th- throughout and, and so I thought what a great concept yeah uh, but you can't get a Kentucky Oatmeal Spice Cake over there so. oh and by the way we'll talk about Kentucky Oatmeal Spice Cake or why don't we just talk about it now because that's one of my favorite things on sure. your, your menu um, how did that come up uh, well, I, I told you that uh, Scott Peacock was military he wanted to be militantly historically correctly southern uh, so we were using uh, his recipes, of course, uh, and one of which was what we, what we call now call our chocolate chocolate cake, and it's, it is a very intense piece of chocolate cake, which is his recipe and Mrs. Lewis's. But the first summer that we were open, the kitchen was so hot that the chocolate continued to melt, and we had to pull the thing off the menu. One of my servers, Greg Smith, came to me and said, "You want a really good dessert item? My grandmother has an, <coughs> an item called." Kentucky oatmeal called oatmeal spice cake. <coughs> so we gave the, the recipe to Scott. Scott gave it to Dave Berry, who was our executive sous chef at the time, and we created a dish that is made out of oatmeal and toasted with pecans, and then burnished on the top with a burner. And then on top of all of that, one of the chefs said, "This would really be good with some homemade ice cream." And that's when we started making ice cream. So we make vanilla and we make. Caramel and the caramel ice cream goes on the Kentucky oatmeal spice cake, and it's hot and it's cold and it's crunchy and it's sweet and it's tart and it's salty and it's it's a, it's a darn fine piece of pastry. Well, which by the way we make in our in our shop on premise. I'm a a chocolate guy. Um, uh, it, it's it's sort of in my DNA, but uh, and that was my go to dessert uh, at the horseradish grill until I tried the oatmeal spice cake uh, and. It it's now uh, uh, vies with the chocolate cake as the, my go-to dessert, and uh, I had it recently because you brought me over slice actually, or you had a slice brought over um, because it was my birthday recently, and uh, it's just always been uh, one of the most uh, rich without being yeah. overly sweet, uh, rich chocolate cakes. Um, let's talk about your people. You know, we talked about a little bit about. Uh, uh, Richard and uh, and uh, uh, Terry, uh, both of uh, your uh, GM uh, and uh, uh, your your hostess, uh, being with you for a number of years, and some of the other folks that are in your kitchen that have been with you for a number of years. You know, restaurants are notorious for turnover, um, 
But you've had uh, people uh, in the front and in the back f- for a number of years. How do you find them? How do you train them? How do you keep them? The real trick is how do you keep them? So one of the things that's going on in Atlanta today, <coughs> and it's happened uh, for several cy- cycles over time, is when the chains uh, operations and the big, well-financed, fancy, what I call them the fancy places open in Atlanta, they kind of uh, usurp all of the existing uh, trainable staff, or certainly the trained staff, and it's very difficult to find them. Uh, we get, we, we're basically uh, word of mouth. Uh, we, we do very little uh, adver- advertising. We we like references because I, I, would, I like the fact that if you work for me and you recommend somebody to come work for me, they'll be basically be working with the person that recommended them also. So the concept, and we also believe in the concept of running the business as a, as a family or the family as a business, uh, and we believe in, uh, in looking out for each other. And, uh, I, and one of the unique things about our training program, of course, restaurants are replete with training programs and diagrams and charts and bells and whistles. Uh, but the best part of ours is that if you don't perform during your training opening training period, they don't allow they meaning my staff won't allow you to to reap the rewards of being a server at Horseradish Grill. Well, it's kind of a group uh, consensus. Yeah. You definitely have a family feel to uh, to to the staff. I've I've uh, uh, always felt like if uh, I needed someone, I could grab anyone, and that there was no resentment. That I'm sorry, that's not my uh, table. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's always been high-quality folks um, that make you really feel at home and are very knowledgeable. Uh, your training has to include uh, making your people knowledgeable about what goes into each menu item. That's right. Um, um, I'm going to go back to this menu. I'm going to, like, uh, water the mouths of some of the listeners. You, you, we, we mentioned uh, things like the jumbo shrimp and Logan Turnpike grits and fried green tomatoes and... The North Carolina-style barbecued pulled pork on cornmeal pancake with coleslaw and tangy tomato barbecue sauce. You have fire-roasted artichokes. You have roasted Brussels sprouts. You have crispy flash-fried grouper bites, tempura-fried okra. Um, Big seller. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, also a classic southern uh, item. Yeah, who would have thought? But the deal is, is that the twist that we put on it is we don't use cornmeal on our okra. Yeah, I guess it's a tempura. Is it a classic tempura? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very I, different. But it, right, same ingredients, different different twist on how you prepare it. Yeah, I, I didn't really have to ask you that because I've had them. They're really delicious. And actually, I was n- not much of an okra person uh, until uh, I tried your uh, your okra. You've got some classics. You've got a, a wedge salad and a cob salad and um, some something a little bit different, maybe one of the few non-Southern items. Uh, would be the Asian chicken uh, um, salad, um, and at lunchtime you, you've got um, uh, some classics like a barbecued bacon burger, uh, marinated uh, grilled chicken breast sandwich, crispy uh, fried grouper sandwich. Uh, you've got a, a fried shrimp whole boy. How'd that get in the menu? Uh, and uh, a salmon BLT. Um, how about, how about uh, fried chicken livers? Oh, fried chicken livers, yes. Don't want to forget those. Uh, also, um, 
I'm going to turn to um, uh, some of the wood fire grill and, and large plates you have. Um, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to be taking a break, uh, but I want to uh, leave uh, folks with this uh, one item in mind. Your sweet corn crusted North Georgia mountain trout, I know, is one of your most popular items. Yes, it is. We'll talk a little bit about it. We're here with Steve Alterman, owner and creator of the Horseradish Grill, and we've been talking about what it takes to sustain a successful restaurant in a competitive marketplace. We'll be right back after a little break. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. <clears throat> We're here, Steve Alterman. <clears throat> Pardon me the owner and creator of the Horseradish Grill here in Atlanta. And, um, you know, for listeners that might be new to the Business Hour, one of the reasons that that I draw upon a lot of Atlanta businesses, and we don't restrict it to Atlanta or the South, uh, and even occasionally throw in a a guest from abroad, but um, right here in Atlanta we've got a microcosm of great American businesses and the restaurant industry happens to be highly competitive so that our good restaurants are great restaurants. And Steve's uh, restaurant, the Horseradish Grill, is uh, the epitome of uh, a really, really fine restaurant that he's managed to sustain the quality of for over two decades, going on 25 years. And so um, I thought, you know, it would be good to offer insight into um, or have him offer insight into what it takes uh and it's um a bunch of things being orchestrated um from the quality of the menu the quality of the people uh a good setting uh, certainly helps but you drill down into some of the details of things like the menu and you come up with something like the sweet corn crusted north georgia mountain trout um which i just say I've, I've i've had uh on a on one or two occasions, uh, and again, um, I guess like a lot of Americans, I, I, I was a red meat kind of guy, and we'll still occasionally have red meat, uh, definitely like pork, which you uh, have on the menu, but uh, it's your uh, North Georgia Mountain Trout that is one of the things that uh, I find has made me less of a, rest, a, a red meat eater. Well, again, I think it has more to I won't say more, a lot to do with the way that we presented the product because in the past, when you're thinking about southern food, you'd think about a, a, a four-ounce fillet, a fillet of trout breaded and thrown onto a, a, a skillet, and that's how they served it. Um, we started with ours. Frankly, uh, Scott came up with Tony Bramlett 
Bramlett Farms in uh, Blairsville, who who is a breeder of trout, and we went to visit Tony and and uh, looked at his product. And he, let me tell you some differences. Differences that I would guess about ninety percent of all the trout in the eastern side of the United States comes out of the lower end of North Carolina and the, and the upper end of Georgia. But they they grow their trout in concrete raceways. So if you you look at a, a trout, and ours is a rainbow trout, not a brown, so it means it's got fins on the top and the bottom. If they're running these trout down that raceway, they're scraping that bottom and they're scraping that skin, and that can't be good for the fish. If you go to Mr. Bramlett's farm, unfortunately he doesn't do restaurants anymore, but we buy from the guy, his, his, his successor, his raceways are <coughs> grass. So when his uh, rainbow trout run from one end of their raceway to the other end of the raceway and they pull out. They're still rainbow trout. They are gorgeous. They're bl- they're right on. They grow right on the edge of the Georgia Nantahala Forest, the purest water in the state of Georgia, and they look good. And they're full and they're fat and they're. I don't want to call a fish happy, but well, you different. know, you you probably <laughs> could. You know, if you can call calls contented, you might. So we be able to cause. then Scott. Uh, then we instead of flipping it in a pan. We put it on a wood, hickory wood grill. We wrap it with bacon. We put basil on the inside of it, and we've we've had that dish on one iteration or another because we, we changed the recipes uh, menus a couple of times. A couple of times. Um, well, I'm one of those. Oh, go ahead. That's okay. We've had it since inception. I'm one of those guys who uh, even likes the skin on the trout. Yeah. And thank God, it's a uh, uh, grass brushed. Skin rather than concrete, uh, 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 scraped uh, skin, and yeah, it, that, that's an interesting detail, Steve. So classic of a detail related to an ingredient. In this case, kind of right. the main ingredient for uh, this dish of uh, sweet corn crusted North Georgia mountain trout. Um, but it's characteristic of uh, uh, going the distance. You probably even have to pay a little more, but uh, it shows uh, in the quality. It's uh, like paying extra for coffee, for good coffee. Uh-huh. That's I mean, right. When I ran chain restaurants, I would I would throw out a, a, a purveyor for, a, a, you know, two cents a pound. Today, we, we pay probably $6 a pound more than, than we used to. But the, with the coffee, which is uh, uh, John, um, John Martinez, uh, has been ser- serving us for years. Talk about attention to detail. John Martinez, our coffee prov- and roaster, walked into my restaurant after we'd been open for two years and announced, Steve, my name is John Martinez. Now that you've survived two years, I will allow you to purchase my product. That's the attitude. We, we like that. Yeah. Uh, quality vendors can, yeah. Make, uh, can add to that formula because what we've been talking about is many layers of uh, quality uh, that go into right. uh, a, a successful uh, restaurant operation, um, and um, I, I dare say I'll take, uh, and again, I don't mean to sound like an infomercial, but this is my personal experience, and I think I'm entitled to my opinion. It's my program, and I can say that I'll take your cup of coffee over a lot of the very uh, shishi uh, cappuccinos, and I'm a cappuccino drinker. You know, I, I like a good cappuccino, some good espresso, but I'll take your cup of coffee uh, stack it up against a lot of the what other the restaurant what other restaurants consider to be their good cappuccinos. Yeah. Attention to detail. Attention to detail. Um, what about marketing, Steve? 
you know, I I, I really uh, uh, know uh, that you probably succeeded much more uh, by word of mouth than m- many restaurants. And and again, you you you've crossed over this threshold where. Uh, word of mouth uh, proliferates um, because of all the work that's gone into uh, the operation for years and years. Um, but you know, it's still a ball game where you have to have a presence here and there. Uh, how do you approach that? Uh, do, you, do you get involved hands-on in either uh, the public relations, uh, any news releases? Uh, I know you... Um, uh, send some information out online, um, and uh, uh, I see the ads now and then in various publications. How do you how do you deal with that whole thing? Because you know, marketing can be expensive. Reluctantly, very <laughs> reluctantly. I, th- I, I I don't like uh, uh, advertising. I particularly don't like uh, print advertising. Um, when we advertise uh, in print, it's because I think that we're going to try to get the message out to a new market that we haven't been to before. For example, maybe the, it's the travel groups. Um, yeah, I do get involved. Uh, that's uh, one of the reasons why a lot of these things don't get done. But, yeah, we believe in being a great community uh, participant and a member of the community. Um, we try to support all the all of the worthwhile organizations in the city and in the park particularly. There's lots of great things going on over there. This is a minor thing, and it's uh, somewhat marketing or at least image-related. The Horseradish Grill horse head mm-hmm. is a really neat-looking um, graphic mark, we yep. call it in the industry. Um it's 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 a classic. And by the way, if folks have not gone to www.horseradishgrill.com to follow along and drill down uh, um, uh, by themselves uh, into the menu and the operation, uh, you can do that, and you can see the horse that I'm talking about. Um, it looks like one of those classic horses from um, centuries ago, hand-carved, horse head, um, stylized mane. Where, where did that come from, and how long have you used that? We've used it from day one. It came from Joey Ryman. We want Joey was a, a one of the original partners, my partners in, in the operation, and of course he's a brilliant guy. And uh, his team came up with it, with that. Uh, and we, when we put a, a, a sign out on the street that said "Horse Radish Grill," it was carved wood with our PMS colors, and it's it's a it's a great looking, recognizable logo. There's another guy with a pedigree, Joey Ryman. Uh, uh, Joey, if you're listening, uh, come back and stick your head in the restaurant. Um, For folks not familiar with him, Joey Ryman uh, was an advertising luminary here in Atlanta uh, and in New York, I think, before he came to Atlanta. I know when he first came, it must have been uh, 30 years ago or close to, I was the guy to invite him to the, his first speaking engagement, or he, so he says, to the International um, um, Association of Business Communicators, IABC. And uh, he, um, he gave us uh, a, a talk that was uh, the last million years of advertising. <clears throat> <laughs> it was a great... Uh, a great. Uh, he gave. Great, he schooled me a few times too. He's a bright guy. <laughs> he was a bright guy. Um, Steve, do you 
have anything you you might want to share with um, uh, young people thinking about a career in the food and beverage industry or to um, uh, young professionals, young students, young professionals, or, you know, that may already be in uh, the business. Um, I heard a report uh, yesterday about uh, an Atlanta woman who, young woman who uh, selected the Cornell School of Hospitality because it was the best in the country. Um, you can go so many different routes. You, you can go to cooking school. You can um, go to a hospitality program. You can inherit an operation reluctantly from your from your parents. You can be a successful business person that's uh, uh, going to make a, has a little capital. Is going to invest in a restaurant. But what advice would you give? Uh, first to a youngish person and secondly to uh, and it might be a cautionary tale to uh, a, an adult thinking about uh, this business well with regard to the adult I told you the story about uh, give me a million dollars and we'll split it up and, and light our cigars with them and, uh, and I'll save you the money with regard to younger people going into the restaurant business the, uh, my first advice is you got to take yourself seriously you got to know what you're doing, meaning you got to know what that, that you know what you want, what it is you want to do. As you said, there are a jillion different reasons why people get into the hospitality industry. We don't necessarily know which end of it it, it is, but um, be aware, be prepared, and don't run out of cash. Well, um, I think you uh, run a really tight ship, uh, Steve, and I, I know that you run it like a good time emporium for folks to come in and have a really good time, and you execute uh, very well. So thank you for coming uh, onto the Business Hour and uh, sharing some insight. My pleasure, and just having this conversation with you really shows me that we're, we're trying to, that the message we're trying to get out has been successful through people like you. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Business Hour here in America's radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the Internet and radio next week.